Welcome to Cinebabble episode 50. Clint, we have made it 50 episodes. Uh, I mean, I know we've done more. We're at our midlife crisis. Midlife crisis episode. I like that. Welcome to Cinebabble episode 50, the midlife crisis episode. (laughs) Uh, I am your host, Ken, and as always, uh, my compatriot in arms, Clint. Tell the world hello. Hello. Do you like my new Corvette? It's red. Just float in here. I'm just like dealing with some things in my life. Well, you yeah. know, yeah, this is midlife crisis episode. Mm-hmm. I have a toupee. Yeah, I'm gonna get some plastic surgery. Oh man. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, you're wearing way too many rings. Too. That's that's a weird. Some would choice. say not enough. <laughs> I would say not enough. All right. Well, we have a lot to get to in episode 50, uh, but we've also been watching some stuff. So, Clint, what you've been watching about? I got a couple. I got a couple things this time. Not like five or six, just two. Just two. That's yeah. what I, I got two as well. Okay, I probably could have done more, okay. but I won't. Um, I watched a movie that we had kind of just not discussed, but we were. It was one that was on a bunch of best of lists that we were thinking maybe it could have made it on our list if we had seen it. You not so much, but me. Um, come on, come on. Okay. Um, with Joaquin Phoenix, mm-hmm. and it's got uh, it's directed by Mike Mills, who did The Beginners, and uh, what was it, 20th Century Woman, I think. I actually haven't seen that one yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, I just know I love The Beginners. So. Uh, you are a big fan of that one. <laughs> um, but it's about Johnny who is an emotionally stunted and uh, soft-spoken radio journalist who travels the country interviewing a variety of kids about their thoughts concerning the, their world and their future. And he's played by Joaquin Phoenix, Joaquin correct? Phoenix. And he has to um, – he starts um, – well, his nephew comes to stay with him. And so he kind of takes his nephew on these journeys of going to interview these kids. And through watching the, his nephew, he wasn't very close with before this, um, he kind of learns a lot more about – what he's doing in his work and okay. himself and and what it is to actually be very close to a child. And um it's just a really lovely um mm. little movie. Like I and it's Walking Phoenix is fantastic and the kid um uh Woody Norman mm-hmm. Jesse Jess, who plays Jesse. Um I I don't think I've ever seen him in anything so I, this might be his first thing. But it's just a really lovely little movie about like uh, this relationship that they form. And um, and him, Joaquin Phoenix, just trying to be kind of the surrogate dad and coming to terms with what it is to, like, actually, like, form a relationship with this child and the, like, struggles of that. Like, just, like, actually taking care of somebody mm-hmm. other than himself because he's, he's like, a loner and mm-hmm. soft-spoken and he's just very wrapped up in his work. And okay. now he has this little person in his life that he has to see and take care of. Um and it's just really lovely, and the music's very beautiful and, and soft. It's a very soft movie, and it has one of the most, like, devastatingly beautiful, like, last scenes between them. Mm. Like, and it says so much about, like, the pain of growing up and, like— They both get hit by a truck. <laughs> Wait and spoil it. <laughs> Um, I'm kidding. That wasn't. I haven't seen this. Movie. No, but I I highly recommend it. it like okay. re, you didn't like Beginners, but I I know you're a big fan of. I like Beginners. I just don't like Beginners. It's you have a strange relationship it's with Beginners. Odd. I think you would enjoy this. Okay. Uh, especially just like the performances alone are enough, and it's uh, it's all black and white, which is really um, nice kind of change of pace. There aren't very many black and white movies mm-hmm. these days. Um, but it's a really nice little movie. Okay. I highly recommend it. I don't know if it would have made it on my list, 
because um, there were so many great movies, mm-hmm. but it would have definitely been a runner-up for sure. Okay. Uh, another movie. I just watched this last night. I actually watched it twice in a row, strangely, because uh, I think I was— In a row last night? Yeah. Like, I was trying to, like, wrap my head around it a little bit. I did the Greasy Strangler for <laughs> breakfast, okay? <laughs> you don't get to come in here and do a weird watching and steal my thunder. I do the weird watchings. I watch Muppet Christmas Carol 80 times in, in a month. And I just watched an okay movie two times in a row. <laughs> All for right, some let's reason. hear about it. Um, this movie called Strawberry Mansion. I've heard of this, and I don't know why. Yeah, maybe you saw it, like it recently just popped up on like the streaming services like Amazon and stuff. Okay. Um, directed by Albert Burney, who actually is from Baltimore. So that was really interesting, like because I saw at the end of the movie there was like a Maryland thing on the end. On the, oh. I was like, what? What does this have to do with Maryland? But he's from Baltimore. Maryland's got a good flag. Oh, it does. Um, except for when they put it on the stupid crab. Yeah, but that, that. it just looks anyway. Yeah. That's yeah, a Maryland rant for another time. <laughs> um, but it play it's um uh, this character who he's like a, an auditor for the government. And um in a future where the government records dreams and taxes them, a dream auditor gets caught up in an aging eccentric's dreams. Okay, now I've heard of this. This is the one people have been comparing to Eternal Sunshine. It's very eternal sunshine. It's a lesser eternal sunshine. Oh, okay. Um, it's it's really well – like I, I'm sure it was a very low-budget movie. And mm-hmm. it kind of has a Michelle Gondry like that where it's mm-hmm. very handmade. And it's very well filmed and um, they I, I didn't mind the hand-done feel of it. I think it's a little bit on the Michelle Gondry side where it almost feels like – I don't know. If Craft fair. Yeah, which I I like how Michelle Gondry mm-hmm. does it for sure. This is a little too cutesy at okay. moments, and I think what really turned me off—not turned me off, but just like didn't get it out over the edge of being a really worthwhile movie for me anyway—was the characters. Mm-hmm. They weren't given enough depth. They and the, the um, director was saying even like they like to play it as more show than tell, mm-hmm. but this needed a little more tell. I just was not invested in the characters at all. Okay. It just felt almost in that very lower tier indie film way where they they don't they're not giving the characters enough depth to carry it through the film. It almost felt like there's supposed to be this great great romance at the at the center of it, but only to the level like he's a guy, she's a girl, okay, they're supposed to be together. Like, let's give a reason. Like, let's have them a scene where they're learning about each other and they're developing a, uh, developing a relationship and a friendship. And they never do that. And so it almost feels like just we want to show all these dream sequences mm-hmm. and there's a, a loose th- through line throughout. Um, is it is it an expensive rent? Or no, is it, it was four ninety nine. Oh, okay. But I'm sure it's going to be one – like it will probably pop up free yeah. soon. I, I didn't regret watching it. I watched okay. it two times. But I wanted to form like – what what is not grabbing me about this? Yeah. And so I was like, I rented it. I'll watch it again yeah. <laughs> while I have it. Um, I don't regret watching it, but I wouldn't say it's worth all the praise that it's been getting. Okay. Yeah. What have you been watching? Uh, I have watched three things. Okay. Uh, one, Clint and I both went and saw The Batman, uh, and we hated it. It yeah, was awful. It was terrible. See it. No, we absolutely uh, <laughs> adored this flick. And we actually, if you, if you check, uh, we have a, a special episode up about it. I won't say much more about it here other than, wow, 
what a movie. Yeah, you can um, have the hour-long um, conversation that we just did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can listen to that separately. I won't waste much time here. Although it's Batman, and it's not much of a waste of time because it was no, amazing. it was great. But anyway, uh, I have watched two other things. I watched this movie called Mass that was on a, oh, okay. a quite a few best-of lists from uh-huh. last year. And it is about uh, the parents of a school shooting victim mm-hmm. basically getting to meet— uh, several years later after some lawsuits and some pretty nasty stuff, getting to meet the parents of the shooter okay. who did the shooting and then killed himself. Mm-hmm. And it's just this uh, largely one-room movie mm-hmm. with these four characters. And it's uh, it, it's as minimalistic as it gets. Uh-huh. Uh, but the performances are very, very strong. Uh, the writing's very strong. And it it has some real moments of poignance when it comes to uh, exploring grief yeah. and things like that. And it just um, – I don't know that, that I love this movie. I don't know that it would have been on my top ten uh-huh. had I watched it. I don't think it's it's there. I just think um, – it was it was very very good. It felt like watching a stage play. Okay, uh, I think I would have, have almost enjoyed it more as a stage play. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, it's 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 worth watching. Uh, it, your enjoyment of it, or whether you like it or not, will really come down to how much you buy into the performances. I think uh, Jason Isaac and uh, the oh, I can't remember who plays his wife, but the couple whose son was the victim of the shooting, mm-hmm. I think are much stronger performances and are are better written than the the parents of uh of the shooter. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that's intentional. I think they're just they're dealing with uh the tragedy of being the parents of a shooter in a very different way. Yeah, yeah. And they're they're not quite it's it's you'd have to watch it to see what I'm talking about. But it's it's still, regardless, it's it's very good. Where did you watch this? I want to say it was on Amazon. Okay. I think I rented it. Uh, It was $4.99 or so. I know there's that one on um, HBO Max that just came up about it. There was a school shooting and it's like the kids After. About the girl. Yeah. Yeah, No, that's that's a different movie. That's on my list. I want to watch. Mm -hmm. Just haven't watched it yet. You know, this is just about the parents. Gotcha. Uh, the other thing I watched was uh, finish the second season of Euphoria. Did oh, yes, you me too. finish the finale? Yeah. Um, what'd you come away with feeling for the season? I thought it was great. Yeah. I honestly, like, I really like that last episode. And I feel like you, there's a couple loose ends, but it could have been the final. Like, if they yeah. didn't want to do any more of it, like, yeah. it felt very much like it wrapped up. I just they they've already announced the season three yeah and I'm just not spoiled enough to get upset when they don't finish something off yeah but there's there's no way that they just randomly forgot about the fact that she had all these drugs from a drug dealer yeah that yeah. she never paid back and that's what people online are complaining about well what about that I don't know tune into season three I'm right. sure there's some it's consequence like one of the biggest shows on television yeah. I'm sure yeah. it's gonna get another season uh I I thought it was it was so interesting and so powerful at times and uh certainly something that that deals with with addiction and the cost of addiction kind of the collateral damage of addiction yeah in a, a really mature way uh considering it's essentially a uh you know R-rated CW show right. about these teens that I'm pretty <laughs> sure don't like, exist in real yeah, life. Yeah, they're all Abercrombie and Fitch models. Yeah, yeah, wearing things to school that yeah. I don't know if high schools changed that much, but I remember dress codes at high school. Yeah. And you wouldn't get away with, you know, you could put 
16 of those things over top of each other and still be violating the dress code. Uh, but it's it's dealing with um, some very real things in a very heightened uh, reality. And I, and I that, like the interplay. Yeah, and I think that makes it all work, that it is so heightened and visually also just the style of it. Yeah. I love the device of the school play yeah. for the last two Especially, episodes. Yes, spread across. Yeah, that, that was such a great way to bring all these storylines together and show backstory yeah. and like previous things that they've gone through. And, and it's such an interesting, like artistically um, cool way. People I, really complained about the the four or five minutes they take just for Elliot to sing a song to Rue. I love that scene, honestly. Yeah. I yeah. just, the, the song, who cares if the song's good or not? The song is so pointed and, and what it's saying to her is so sweet mm-hmm. uh and and it's really just about the performance on her face yeah it's really just about her and he's actually performing it yeah that's yeah. that makes like it makes it feel like a very real moment but it, it gives you a good reason that she's at the place that i i love the scene with with her and jules yeah that was and great. um and and there's just there were different things that i really appreciate about this two-part finale yeah um and you know it's just i as much as you can enjoy a show watching people uh, struggle with everything from addiction to abuse to these horrible, horrible things, it's it's a really um, good show that I think gets misunderstood and misrepresented a lot. Yeah. I mean, throughout it, I there was moments where I had trouble yeah. with like just the way they're – there's something about it and how they're depicting um, the sexuality of teens is kind of exploitative in yeah. a way. Yeah. And – and it, it, that was the thing that usually would bother me the most of just how sexualized, like, and I know teens have sex and stuff, but it's just like, who is really, like, are teens watching this show or a bunch of, like, <laughs> adults yeah. are watching this show? Yeah, there, there is a murkiness to yeah. all that where it's just, you know, what what's your intention here? Because it it stylizes things, um, but it it's not advancing plots or you're trying to... Like what? What are you trying here? I know, and I feel like the first season did a better job at those moments. Yeah. Like there's an earlier scene, like maybe in the first episode. With, I can't remember the character's name, the blonde who's mm-hmm. the, who's pining over what's his name the whole Nate. time, yeah. Nate. Where like she's about to like have sex with her boyfriend, and like he's trying to do it very pornographically, yeah. and she's like, "Why would you think I would like that?" And it's very kind of like a saying a lot in that scene. But then I feel like this season, it just almost became just pornographic in moments. Um, I don't know. It was – it it lost the the intelligence. Yeah. I – the first four episodes I was okay with. The the five, six, and seven, the last three episodes are really strong to me. But there's none of that stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's there's no distraction. There's relationships, but there's not – um, any of those kind of physical connections. Yeah. And it just felt more focused with that stuff out of the way. Yeah. And, and I'm not approved uh, for that stuff. Like, I don't care, but it, it like, it's just like, why are, why are we doing this? What's the purpose here? Yeah. yeah. And that's where I had mentioned it before. HBO and some of the other paid channels yeah. have this thing where it almost feels like they have to get in their quota. Like, they really have to drive home that this is an adult series. Yeah. And then they can get to the story. And And I just... Okay, you know, uh, can we can we just get past it? And I, you know, I always found myself like, okay, can we just get back to Rue and what's going on there? And 
what's happening with her addiction, and I just don't care uh, <laughs> what's happening in the closet with Nate and what's her face. It just, you know. There were some some moments of that stuff that I, I enjoyed. Like I, I actually enjoyed the Nate storyline at the end of this. Yeah. Like yeah. I with the, with the father and son relationship thing yeah. and that whole how that played out. I because before that I was like, man, this guy's just a psychopath. Yeah. And where it goes is a little bit more interesting by mm-hmm. the end. Um, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I enjoyed the season yeah. for yeah. sure. Yeah. So uh, if you're ever thinking of doing drugs, watch Euphoria and you won't do drugs. Especially what was that, episode five or something? <laughs> Man, <laughs> episode five was one of the, the most tense hours of television. It was great. It was, it was great. It was a little yeah. mini movie, but man. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, for our 50th episode, we uh, we don't have a Mandalorian minute. No. Uh, because We're going to get a colonoscopy. <laughs> but it wasn't that bad. <laughs> Boba Fett is done. So we can just dive right into the 50th episode. For, for this episode, we thought we'd have some fun. We're going to be back next week in episode 51 uh, with, with some new movies to talk about. Uh, Licorice Pizza. From Paul oh, Thomas yeah. Anderson just popped up on I Amazon. Know. I went ahead and purchased that bad okay, boy so cool. that we can watch it. Sweet. And uh, we'll we'll definitely be talking about that, I'm sure, and some other things. Uh, but for now, what I've been doing is I've been compiling your questions. Some of them we've just kind of uh, put up some, some posters and stuff like that on Instagram just to have fun with. Uh, but there are 10 that uh, that I pulled aside and I'm like, oh, these might be fun to talk about. And so uh, apologies ahead of time if I shorten the email that you sent us. I appreciate all the feedback and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's all, you know, compliments are nice, but I'm not going to sit here and and read out loud a bunch of compliments about why not? How much you like things. I'm not mention some things. <laughs> you know, people like us. But I'm not going to sit here and, you know, gush on. I know that some of you are just sucking up so that uh, so that we read your question. And that's okay. I respect that. Yeah. I respect that. I it's, appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. You can't send me money, but that's a bribe of the heart. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> it's Uh, the first one says, uh, "Thanks so much for recording, guys. Always listening to your episode, or always enjoy listening to your episodes. I listen to them on the train on my way to work, and when they run too long, I listen to them on the way home to finish them off. Uh, I was just curious. Um, that's a man who knows how to use a pause button, right? You can. That's I'm assuming he's a man. Maybe he's not a man. That um, was very sexist. I didn't. Yeah, it really was. I'm sorry. That's okay. I probably. I don't know. Doesn't matter. I didn't put names on here. So I'm anyway. sorry." Um, I, I love when you guys talk about movies, uh, that, uh, that people don't like and you don't understand why, uh, could you run through some movies that you feel like everyone hates, but you are ready to defend, uh, Clint, you want to take some, how many did you do here? Um, that's a lot. Eight. Eight? Yeah. But I don't know. So so you just want to take turns and we'll we'll kind of go through. All right. What's your first one? Well, this is going to go back to a conversation we've already had, but Clifford. Ah. Like, I'll always defend that movie. Yep. I'm right there with you. I've, since we talked about it and reviewed it again, I've showed it and recommended it to so many people. (laughs) And everybody says the same thing. This is a good movie. This is fun. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I like that you put Clifford up there. I'm starting hot. I'm starting with Navy SEALs. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) I watched Navy SEALs right when it came out on Uh VHS video, 
And it was the first R-rated movie that I watched in my house with my parents with permission. Oh, really? And in the opening scene, uh, the the Navy SEALs, led by Michael Bean and Charlie Sheen, uh-huh. can't make that up, Why are would you? Uh, rescuing these, uh, these prisoners of war. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the prisoners, before they get there, gets shot in the head, and brain matter flies onto the other prisoner. Yeah. And I remember my dad, I remember it like it was yesterday, saying, nope. We're done. <laughs> and I remember, Dad, no. Dad, I can do it, Dad. Dad, no. It's okay. It's just violence, Dad. It's not sex. <laughs> Probably didn't even know what that was then. <laughs> anyway, so then we launched, and I got to watch Navy SEALs. And ever since, I have loved Navy SEALs. And I don't yeah. care how much Kevin Smith makes fun of it and clerks. <laughs> I get it. I get the hate for this movie. It is pure 80s. Yeah. Everything about this movie, including the short shorts, pure 80s. I will defend this movie to my dying day. I will spare you the defense here. But man, I love Navy SEALs. Uh, that's fine. That's All good. Right. What's your next one? Um, my next one was Only God Forgives. That's a good one. I didn't even think of that. Because I feel like that one is very misunderstood really, in that, yeah. like, people just think it's boring and there's no uh, um, central, like, plot to it or anything. That's Nicholas. Um, Winding Refn. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a lot in that movie. Like, there's a lot of depth to that movie. Yeah. And one of those movies where a lot is unsaid in a very interesting way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Speaking of that, Under the Skin is the next on my list with Scarlett Johansson. That was going to be on my list. But mm-hmm. then I looked and, like, that one used to be, like, very divisive as far mm-hmm. as, like, Rotten Tomatoes scores. But now it's, like, 85%. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, then maybe I can but, take that off there if people love it. But but that might be I, just, I don't know, it might be just reviewers. I, every time I've ever mentioned it to somebody, yeah. they look at me like I'm sick in the head. <laughs> and then I'll try to defend it. I'm like, no, no, well, no, then, you don't understand. Yeah. And to general public people, like like I could get for sure. I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's what's your next one? Um, Alien Three. I got <laughs> Alien Three elsewhere for another, but I thought of Alien Three for this one yeah. too. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that one gets a lot of hate, but it really does. Um, I think there's a lot of great stuff in that movie. Yeah, it's it's good, and and I think so much of it is because David Fincher disowned it, and yeah. people love David Fincher. So I I almost wonder if the hate has sort of followed with. Just that disappointment, what could have been. Right. Uh, but I, I just think I in, the, in the oeuvre of alien, <laughs> the oeuvre. Oeuvre of the alien u- universe, yeah. I think it's an interesting like um, way to tell that story. Yeah. It's a very strangely toned movie. And and I think that that first three alien movies, I think if it had stopped there, I think people might remember it a little more fondly. Maybe. Maybe it gets blamed for things sort of, you know, I— Alien 4 is good to me. I, yeah, I don't I, I, mind Alien 4. Yeah. It's weird, and it yeah. doesn't feel like the same universe. And, uh, you know, the prequel movies kind of hit or miss. But, um, yeah, okay. Uh, my next one is Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Oh. I feel like this one people have really piled on. And other than that stupid casino planet, <laughs> which I wish we could take that film reel and burn it. Uh, it's the only thing I don't like in that movie. Maybe, you know, Leia's a little too long out in the space before she gets back in. I get it. Yeah. Uh, but I actually, I really like The Last Jedi. I like what it was setting up. I like what Ryan Johnson was trying to do. And um, 
the parts of episode nine I don't like. I feel like they were just trying to erase some of the different moves he was yeah. making in episode eight. And I really just, appreciate. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I really appreciate that he was trying to push the story mm-hmm. in a in a new direction and like open yeah. it up a little bit more. There, are, like you, the, the casino planet, and there's some <sighs> elements that I just cannot forgive and. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of I, – I do enjoy it. It's not just – I mean everything that happens on that stupid casino planet. There's yeah. not even like a good thing that happens on no, the casino No, you could planet. lift that chunk out of the movie yeah, and it would have gone. no consequence yep. for the rest hey, of the movie. Hey, we went and we got Benicio Del Toro. We're back. Yeah. Cool. Better movie. <laughs> anyway. Especially with that character because yeah. like he gets there and then like he just turns on them yeah. and he's like, yeah. oh, then he's gone. It, it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my next one was um, – <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen this one, but this one really has grown on me. Okay, it's a movie called Gentleman Broncos, and by the director of uh, by who did Napoleon Dynamite. Yes, I've not watched it, but I know the exact movie you're talking about. I I can't remember what the percentage online, but it's very low. Okay, um, but. And the first time I saw it, I was like, yeah, it was okay. And then I revisited it because it's got a lot of great people in it that I really enjoy. And it's actually a fun little movie. So um, I I recommend it. Okay. Uh, My next one is Aronofsky's Noah. And I I will fight for this (laughs) one. Me too. That's on another Uh, part of my list. It just – it's one of those – I. I don't by any means think it's a perfect movie, and I I get it has its flaws, but man, this movie has gotten hate from all sides. And I I get uh, people – I I get when Christians don't like it, um, but I I think they think he's adapting uh, early Genesis where he's adapting a little bit of Genesis, but then all of this uh, Jewish mythology Mm -hmm. and Gnosticism and these other – written texts that that most Christians don't know about. Right. And so as an adaptation of, of those Jewish literature pieces, I think it's really good. And I think it's really uh it's it's got a lot going on. If yes, if you're going in looking for your next biblical uh, epic, <laughs> this is not gonna do it for you. Yeah. Uh, and I just I I really feel like it's misunderstood. I have Mother Elsewhere too. Mm-hmm. That's another one that I feel like uh you know a lot of people unjustly just hate. I would get, yeah, it's not for me, but man, people hate uh, a lot of Aronofsky stuff. And I don't know. I, I, I enjoy it. I love Aronofsky. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, my next one, which I think has kind of come around in the past few years, especially like, I mean, it got a series, but MacGruber. Yeah. That one was really hated when it first came out. I, I think now you could say it's probably like a cult classic. But I'm sure there's a big swath of people who still don't enjoy it, um, and probably reviewers and you know critics hate it still. But, Hot Rod with Andy Samberg is the same way. Yeah. I remember people just trouncing that movie, and now it's it's got uh, a, a quite a big following of, of people that just enjoy the the early Sandbergness of it. Yeah, but I MacGruber, I'll okay. I'll fight you for uh, this next one. I. I <laughs> I don't think this is something that normal people hate, but it's definitely something critics and critics at the time despised. And it's still called Spielberg's Worst Movie, which is nonsense, and that is Hook. Hook is a beautiful (laughs) movie. I love Hook. Hook gives me all the feels. Mm -hmm. It is everything in childhood just put on the screen for, for all its glorious wonder. I watch this thing at least once a year. Yeah. And it's just it's it's a delight. Yeah. And um every time I'm reading an article and they're like, oh well, pff, hook. Like, <laughs> no, sir. No. Yeah. No. I will I will fight you on this I'll one. I always have a soft spot yeah. for that one. Yeah. 
Um, speaking of soft spots, this one, okay, I could just <laughs> like the back of a baby skull. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a love poking that. It's just, yep, yep. Just see their arms twitching. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is kind of like the same lines, like, and I could reckon, like, I I haven't watched this movie in a long time, but I will always have a soft spot because it's from my childhood. But Jingle All the Way mm. for with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad, yeah. yeah, and like I I thought it was such a fun, weird Christmas movie, and I know like a lot of people hate this movie, but it's Arnold Schwarzenegger as this. <laughs> His dad who becomes this weird superhero at some at the it's ridiculous, but it's such a fun Christmas movie. Okay. And I, I yeah, I have a soft spot for it. <laughs> All right, do you have any others on there? I'm well, out of mine. this is um, one we I, I also mentioned before, but Ghostbusters two, and I will I I had just saw it for the first time and I th- enjoyed it. That's funny. You should mention it. <laughs> Because here, surprise, surprise, the tail end of my list is a little film I call Ghostbusters Afterlife that some people really hate, Clint. It may surprise <laughs> you to know. learn. I don't know anybody. There are some people out there that really don't like Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah. And those people are just wrong and fell on their heads at a young age. And Somebody uh, poked the soft spot in their head. I, I, feel, I feel sorry for them. I just, I really feel sorry for them. But not you, Clint. No. You like the Ghostbusters films, so. Yeah, especially that one. All right, just checking. Any others on that one? No. Okay. Uh, This next one, I love the lead up to this. Uh, It is, um, where is, there it is. Uh, Clint, love your music on the podcast. I love that it is, uh, oh, sorry. I love that it is intentionally bad at times. (laughs) That makes me laugh so much. And if anybody complains, they are stupid. I totally get it. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. And then uh, this guy goes on to write out the entire lyrics to Sinatron <laughs> 3000, uh, which if you haven't figured out by now, that's supposed to be a ridiculous song. Yeah. I love it so much. I, I generally don't make music like the, the music on these <laughs> on the podcast. It's for my own amusement and yep. to hopefully get Ken to chuckle. Yeah. Well, and you can tell when that's happening and you don't care about something because then you get like Mandalorian Minute, which you just sing the title and like moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, I'm sure by this point, and this is you're going to appreciate this. I'm sure by this point, Ken has talked plenty. Clint, what are the best <laughs> music films for a musician? <laughs> he definitely has been listening to this podcast. <laughs> he knows the, the well, flow of yeah, it. Yeah, and no surprise, I came up with a few myself. Oh, good. I was going to go ahead, Clint. Did. No, I'm going to I'm going to give you the floor. Well, I was hoping you would. I didn't want to be the only one doing oh, this. Yeah, no. um, I actually broke this in half. Okay. Because I did some like actual like movies and then documentaries. Oh, okay. So I'll just See, list this them. is why they asked you. <laughs> I'll just list them. Okay. I don't talk about them too much, but the first one was Almost Famous, which I think is a great Bravo. music film about a band <laughs> on tour. Um, movie called Once from a few, oh, probably, man. Probably twelve or thirteen. That years one almost ago. feels like a documentary. It's it's a very yeah because it's style. very natural performances mm-hmm. in in the film and they're it's great just to see musicians perform in a very real way in a film. Um, one of my favorite recent like oh it's been the past five years now probably maybe more but Frank yeah man that's such a great movie about like the creative process and this weirdo outsider artist. Um, 
and trying to get his vision across. It's fantastic. Um, I'm not there about Bob Dylan, the um, one where there's multiple actors playing him. Fantastic. Um, very weird uh, biop- biopic. Uh, Inside Lewin Davis, that one's great. Uh, Control about, um, uh, what is it? Uh, now I'm blanking. Um, Ian Curtis from, um, oh, Joy Division. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, that, I mean, that's a really interesting, good di- biopic on a musician. I, I'm generally not. That's in- not a documentary? No. Oh, okay. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a actually dr- dramatized version, okay. but, um, I'm not generally into like dramatized biopic mm-hmm. movies on musicians or anything, but this one's a really good, uh, good one. Um, only lover left alive. If you want to see a vampire nope, uh, sure. musician who's like wanting to kill himself, um, but <laughs> it's, it's a very specific subgenre. Yeah, yeah, not many in that subgenre, but uh, yeah, it's great. That and I believe Sylvester Stallone's Cliffhanger. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot that fell on that. It's totally what that's about. <laughs> Spinal Tap. If you haven't yeah. seen Spinal Tap, seriously. Um, also, Mighty Wind. Yeah. Um, Whiplash. Yeah. Really great. This is a good list, Clint. Um, Sound of Metal from like two years ago Sound or last of year. Metal. Oh, yeah, with about the, the, the drum, deaf drummer. The drummer, the drummer who's going, going deaf, deaf and mm-hmm. he has to kind of reevaluate um, his art and his life. And uh, really great. And High Fidelity. Nice. Yeah. That's a good list. Um, do you want to do yours before I do my documentary? You already mentioned all three. I just put Almost Famous, Whiplash, and Frank. Oh, cool. Yeah. So my documentaries, I'll just read through these. Um, a band called Death about the band called Death, um, a Devil and Daniel Johnson, 20,000 Days on Earth about Nick Cave and his mm-hmm. um, his and his group, uh, Beatles, the Get Back series that just On Disney Plus yes. that it's nine hours or I still yeah. haven't gotten to it. It's it's great. Okay. Um, Scott Walker, 30, uh, 30th Century Man, um, Meeting People is Easy about Radiohead. Um, I'm Trying to Break Your Heart about Wilco. Rolling Thunder review about uh, the Bob Dylan tour that um, that Scorsese did that. It came out. It, I think it's on. At least it was. It was on Netflix. It was fantastic. Um, like the most iconic um, concert documentary ever. Stop making sense about Talking Heads. So good. That movie got me onto Talking Heads because I was I was very apprehensive at the time about '80s bands in that totally turned me around on anything from that time period and then instrument about fugazi so okay yeah and there could have been 30 more but i see that's why they asked you <laughs> i'm just like whiplash has drums <laughs> <laughs> all right uh the next question um clinton ken love the podcast always good to listen uh just wanted to point out that you guys always seem to have very easy to understand ways that movies or genres could improve themselves. I'm curious, uh, what is a genre that you think right now needs the most help or change to succeed, and what's that change? Good question. And it's a good question. That's a big question. That's a big one. Yeah, this isn't just fix a movie. No, this is fix a whole genre. Fix a whole genre. What do you got, Clint? So I honestly, like— don't have a specific genre. Well, okay. you could call this maybe you could call this a genre. Okay. But I just was thinking about like independent film in general. Okay. Which like many different genres could fall under. But I feel like um streaming services have kind of gobbled up this like 
section of movies, like movies at a lower level that are made, um, and they kind of disappear on streaming services. I feel like it's like maybe in the mid like late 2000s, like you would go to the film, like a movie theater and like Juno would be playing or like, I'm having a hard time thinking of any other examples, but Mm -hmm. like that level of film that are made for like $404 million and that are getting a lot of critical praise, um, but they're not having like maybe actors that are at the height of their um, career, but maybe on their way up and they're bringing notice to the, to their careers. Um, and I feel like those films have kind of disappeared into, you know, Netflix who just buy them up and then like they might be on their um, home screen for a week and then they get lost in the well, algorithm. Well, they buy them up with so many other movies. Yeah. And and most of them are not good. They sort of, it's it's much harder to find the the gems. Yeah. And those are the films that I'm always like digging through, like mm-hmm. the movie Prospect, which mm-hmm. was made for like four million dollars. And I mean, you're going to see that in a theater. Like I bet it was in maybe one or two theaters yeah. for like a week, and then it gets like thrown into the Hulu. Um, like now <laughs> to uh, what was that movie we watched? Um, Twenty. 47 or 49 yeah, or 94. Exactly. And how are you supposed to know that one of those is uh, like a masterpiece yeah. and the other one is Cody Schmidt McPhee at his lowest? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I just feel like there like, is a whole section or like of movies that are like, getting lost and not getting the attention that they should deserve. Now, do you think fewer people watch those kind of movies now because it's so diluted and there's so much out there that they don't know where to start? Probably. Okay. I, I feel like at one point, I feel like The Power of the Dog um, would have been a massive movie in in the theaters that yeah. would have got a lot more attention. But now it's it like it goes on Netflix and it does get critical acclaim but like how many people are actually going out and see like i just really miss that like seeking out a movie that yeah. i heard about this movie and i want to seek it out and like maybe drive an hour and a half well and that's we used to do that the yeah. the, the theater in bethesda and some of those other places would have those those things that you just heard about on cisco and ebert or read about uh in the early days online mm-hmm. uh and it was like it was it was a treasure hunt and you knew that they they were worth watching because they had made it to that theater or they were at least a theatrical release or something like that. They weren't just a direct video at the video store. And so it was it was going out and, and trying to hunt these things down and and going in with a fair bit of confidence that you're at least going to experience something right. that somebody loves. You may not like it, but somebody does. Yeah. And it's like it's already been vetted for you. Yeah. Hmm. And I really appreciate like I feel like there's people trying to solve this problem like like that um streaming service Mubi mm-hmm. where they're really curating and they're up there for like 30 days and it kind of forces you to watch them before they disappear mm-hmm. and they're really picking out the stuff that's good like I I'm, I really appreciate that they're doing that and uh well and I get that they have a profit structure but you're never going to see something like that on Amazon Amazon's just interested in you yeah. paying for movies right. and watching and, and things like that. They're not interested in giving you a high-quality experience. They right. just have everything. Yeah, and unless it's like Amazon exclusive, yeah. like they picked up. And on occasion, they will get one of these independent films that are worthwhile. Yeah. But and but you're only going to hear about it if they're the ones funding the project. Yeah. And otherwise, it's going to disappear within a hundred other movies, and you're not going to know what's hmm. worth it. Yeah, 
Okay. What about you? I like that. Uh, Mine's actually inspired by that movie we reviewed uh, a little while ago, Dark Waters. Okay. And I don't know what that genre is except to call it boring drama. Yeah. I almost went went down this path. Yeah. So good. Nowadays, because we have Netflix and we have all these streaming services, we have access to a tremendous amount of documentaries. Yeah. And when you have that level of of documentary all the time and limited series and – uh, there's if it's interesting, somebody has probably made or making a documentary about it, and I can go watch it in all of its detail. Yeah, that poses a problem to kind of that traditional drama because it used to be, yeah, Dark Waters would be shocking, but that would be where you heard about it, and that's the best you could get unless you went looking at news articles and things like that. I, I I'm kind of struggling with how that should change. Right. Other than you need more uh, artists with unique voices who aren't just coming in to tell a serviceable story, mm-hmm. but are really finding a part of the story that is underexplored or or has an interesting angle to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be a character. It could be, you know, a side plot. It could be—you got to have a hook. Right. And just telling that story feels antiquated. Yes. Because a drama does not have— the same level of of access and the ability to just slow down and give you information that a, that a documentary does. Right. It has to be entertaining. And it has yeah. to make you care about people. And so things get taken from a complex form and presented in a very um, kind of whittled down uh, basic form. And you feel it. You, yeah. You feel it, it loses its realness and it just starts to feel like a movie of the week. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think the only way to to push that up is to attract people to those projects who have an interesting take on them mm-hmm. uh, or who are going to take something that's happened in real life and use it as inspiration for, uh, you know, a, a different kind of film. Right. Uh, but really beyond that, how do you how do you even begin to attract people that are making their own projects and and tackling fictional characters and all these things. How do you ever get somebody uh, of that caliber to approach a Dark Waters uh, as anything other than just work for hire? Tell the story, do the script. Yeah, I know. that That's real. I, I had thought about dramas, mm-hmm. and there's, there's this tier of dramas that I feel like I used to watch. Yeah. And at the time, I mean, I thought they were there were some really great ones. Um, but now they've kind of disappeared. And if they show up, they are like a doc wa- dark waters where like, I've like, you're saying, I feel like I could have watched a documentary that got me this information in a more, um, concise way that was interesting, more interesting. Yeah. And I didn't need to see the, this man fighting with his wife for some reason. Yeah. Um, well, and that's even when you look at biopics, you even going back to movies that were made before that seemed so good. I, I can find three, four-part documentaries about this human being mm-hmm. that gives me a lot more information and context to the their life because the that old-style biopic, it sort of just hops from year to year to year or era to era to era, and you get kind of the greatest hits of somebody's life. You see that a lot with movies about uh, bands or singers or uh, yeah. things like that, and you go back and watch them now, and you realize it just it's really lacking. It's not enough drama. Or, and, it's not enough information. I know. I've thought about, like, maybe revisiting that Johnny Cash that Joaquin Phoenix did. I, I did. 
And I was wondering, is that going to be one of those? Yep, it is. Yeah. 100% is. That and Ray. Uh, yeah. I was really surprised. I revisited them last year, mm-hmm. and I was really disappointed in both. They're they're both still good movies. They just they they feel inadequate and incomplete. Yeah. Uh, now you take a movie like Lincoln. Yeah. With Daniel Day Lewis, perfect. That is, it's it's giving you one slice of mm-hmm. a picture of one event in one person's life. Yeah. And it's drawing a lot bigger conclusions. That that's when it works to me. Yeah. Uh, but again, you've got Spielberg, you've got Daniel Day Lewis, you've right. got you know you've got top grade uh, talent all around, really trying to find an angle that's new mm-hmm. and that's fresh, and it and it works for me. Um, so and I, that's somebody who like we can't like be directly like. In t- like I feel like a lot of those documentaries are people are very close to our history that we yeah. like have very close references for and like there's video footage and whatever but like that like we can like paint a kind of uh, movie portrait of yeah. that person and what we, we are, are thinking that person was like yeah um, and that can be really interesting yeah. and like I mean like a movie like I already mentioned on my list of the music documentaries and stuff is um, that I am not there about Bob Dylan mm-hmm. where they're having multiple people play him in a very artistic, interesting way and in, like in just showing the different periods in his career, in his personality and like perfect example because now I'm getting another thing other than just the information. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm getting an artistic take on yeah. that information. I'm seeing different performances through different actors. Yeah. Uh, regardless of what gender or all these things. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's it's a really interesting way to deal with what would otherwise be fairly standard. Yeah. Uh, you know, you compare that to something like Bohemian Rhapsody. Like yeah. you can enjoy that, but But it like at that like I never even watched those movies, like yeah. that one or the I heard the Rocket Man was maybe a little bit better than that mm, one. I haven't seen that one. But at some point, like we're it's about a musician. And we're showing this very manufactured fake version of the their performances, yeah. and it's just like, why? Why are we doing this? Yeah. Like, I could just go watch a documentary or a real concert footage of this person actually performing, and I don't need to see all the dramatic moments of this person's life that probably are inconsequential to me. Or yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So there you go, indie yeah. dr- indie film in general. And then boring dramas. <laughs> I really wish they would start like on Amazon. You're just like other boring dramas you might enjoy. <laughs> because you watch Dark Waters, here are some other boring dramas. <laughs> My only other thought like when I was trying to get very granular on it was mm-hmm. like I feel like there's a big um, like missing puzzle piece of comedies in mm-hmm. movies. I feel like there's a lot of fantastic comedy shows and maybe that's filling that gap. But um, – Comedy movies, like even like like the Hot Rod or MacGruber, like those very outlandish movies. And I'm not saying that I always enjoyed those, but I feel like they've disappeared. Yeah. And maybe it is because now they're all just going to um, be television s- series, and and maybe in that way they're benefiting from that. But yeah. I don't know, and, and I don't know if the way to fix that. I feel like a, there's the comedies that are like broad comedies now. I've mentioned this before. They put a lot of non-comedic actors in the roles, mm-hmm. and maybe the head person is a, com- a comedy person. But there's so many great comedic actors, and like that 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 they special specialize in comedy and, yeah. and just comedians. Like 
let's just give those roles to those people. Let's let them shine. And like, even if the, the that role is not specifically uh, supposed to be like the comedy relief, there may be the more like straight man in it. Even in that, like that person will know how to play a straight man. Yeah. Like think about like um, Arrested Development where Michael Bluth, uh, like he's a, the straight man of it. But like he knows how like uh, what's what's his name Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman knows how to play that he's a comedic yeah. actor, so I just feel like maybe in comedies let's just give those roles to comedians rather than like I recently watched um, on Amazon, um, oh, what is it? It's got um, what's his name Charlie from um, from Always Sunny, and it's got uh, Jenny Slate. It's like I a know rom- what you're talking it's about. Yeah, it's comedy. one of their original movies that they and, just put up, and it's not a terrible movie. Like it's kind of a serviceable uh, romantic comedy, but like um, Clint Eastwood's son, he's like one of the other side characters in it, and it's like just give that to a co- a comedian. <laughs> like he's fine. He's like he does the role. He's fine. But like you could have gotten probably a lot more out of somebody who is specializes in a role like that. You know what I mean? I do. Okay. I do. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're really like, ba 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 I liked it. Okay. I like Passionate Clint. He's, <laughs> he's got a cause. I'm on a mission <laughs> to fix comedy and independent film. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one, Clinton, uh, Clint and Ken. I don't know why I'm having trouble saying that. Everybody always says Clint and Ken. Nobody says Ken and Clint, I noticed. Huh. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Okay. It only damages my ego slightly. <laughs> But, like, almost all of these, Clinton Ken, Clinton Ken, Clinton Ken. So good for you, Clint. I don't think it means anything. I think it means everything. (laughs) I think it means exactly what you think it means. (laughs) Clint and Ken. Ken and Clint. Oof. Uh, Clinton Ken, uh, love the podcast. Everybody, like, Clinton Ken, love the podcast. Thank you. Um, Love the podcast and enjoy your rundown of different movies. I appreciate that you work very hard to make sure that you're not just trashing a film. I appreciate that you always try to find the good in movies, even when uh, it ultimately comes to, eh, it was fine. Uh, I'm curious what you think the most misunderstood movies in your collections are. I have several, and it always baffles me when people like a movie, but they get confused as to what the director was actually trying to accomplish. What you got on this one, Clint? Um, I actually have uh, maybe like four or five on this one. Okay. But my first, I'm going to just like lump these two together. Okay. Um, because these are movies that I feel like a few years ago I didn't understand and I misunderstood them. And I've really come around to them in the past couple years. But um, so uh, Stalker by uh, Andre Tarkovsky mm-hmm. and his version of his Solaris. Mm-hmm. Which are such um, beautifully like slow, methodical films. Very meditative. Very meditative, and that's the point of them. Yep. They want you to sit in it. They want you to absorb. He wants you to absorb it. He wants you to really take in this world, and it's and so subtle. And um, and I feel like a few years ago, like I I watched tried watching Solaris probably like ten years ago, and I was like. This is just boring. Like, and I and I was wanting a typical science fiction movie. Now, did you watch it after you watched the the Soderbergh George Clooney? Version? Yeah, I mean, I watched that one probably when it came out, and I honestly okay. I, I couldn't remember it that well. Mm-hmm. Um, that one really like boils down the plot to yeah. like 
like it was like a 90 minutes. Um, yeah. uh, so this one, it, it, so I had, I, preconceptions about it before because I never I couldn't understand his kind of films mm -hmm. and in the past few years I've really tuned into that a lot more and I really love a very deliberately slow paced film that is trying to make my mind slow down and absorb a story in a different way and those two like man I think Stalker is a masterpiece have you seen Stalker yeah yeah, I have just I, recently, actually. Yeah, uh, first time I've watched it, and it was not at all what I was expecting. And it yeah. took a few minutes for me to reorient. I could tell what it was doing, so right. that was that was easier to reorient. But it, it was a uh, a break in expectations. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I really, uh, I really appreciated that it was forcing me to see things in a new and different way. Um, did you want to go before I show my other ones? Uh, no, I mean, yeah. Go ahead. Sure, why not? <laughs> um, my first one is Mother. Okay. And it's because I, I blame the trailer from the get-go. And, and this is an older problem. This is not as prevalent a problem with trailers anymore. I feel like Hollywood's almost learned their lesson. But Mother uh, from Aronofsky was billed as a horror movie. Mm -hmm. It was billed as a uh, almost a, um, uh, oh, what are those survival horror movies called? Um, when somebody's trapped in a house. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, it, a home invasion movie. Okay. It was really billed that way and sold that way, and then it was just released. And I don't think it was given any proper context from the studio as to what it was, what it was doing, uh, or what what people could expect. And even then, you have to know where he's coming from, what he's sourcing, and what the actual story is mm -hmm. that he's trying to tell. This is a movie that requires you to think and analyze yes. And maybe do a little bit of homework. Yep. And people do not have the patience for that. <laughs> and so even when I've read people who've enjoyed this movie, I read their reviews and I'm just like, yeah, but that's that's not what makes that movie good. Yeah, you're like scratching the surface of yeah, what you're is— you're just talking <laughs> about the surreal imagery and and the chaos of it and and the, the deliberate— um, you know, vagueness of it. It's it's not vague. No. You just may not have the the understanding of of what symbology is is going on there. And so I just all around, mother just feels very misunderstood, certainly by people who don't like it, but also by people sometimes who do. Um it's it's a really kind of rich um literary adaptation done in a in a very artful and, and fascinating way. And it's like it's the cre like creation story. It's the creation story from from Genesis, clear up there. I mean, it starts rocketing ahead and mixing time periods, but it it culminates in kind of the the birth of a Messiah child mm -hmm. and what the people do with that Messiah child, and and then at the core, it's it's also sort of this relationship between God and the earth. Yep, and uh, it's it's a very Gnostic version of God, mm -hmm. where God is uh, is kind of the imperfect creator. And he's very flawed, but it's it's a very uh, fascinating movie. Yes, and I just watched it again last year, and I just appreciate it more every time I watch it. And I yeah. just that's one I always come back to because it could have been on the one about movies I defend that people hate, but I don't feel like people hate it. I just feel like they often don't get what's what's the purpose of it or what it's trying to accomplish. Yeah. So yeah. Well, my my next ones were Noah and Mother. Oh, okay. So I'm on the same boat as you. I feel like ha, the same, same boat. boat. Yeah. With all those little animals. <laughs> and raptors. Yeah. yeah. There was definitely dinosaurs on 100%. there. 100%. Um 
so yeah, I, I I'm a big Aronofsky fan. Yeah. Like The Fountain is one of my favorite movies. It's another one I almost put on here. Yeah, yeah, and that one I was in. Like I feel like Aronofsky has just been given the like like short end of the stick because all his movies just like get buried or like misunderstood or like just not the the credit they they deserve. Other than like maybe Black Swan, which was is probably the most maybe digestible of like because it's. It's a more straightforward story, yeah. and um, in in that way, it's still not straightforward. But it, you can swallow it in a viewing. But like these, I feel like there's so many layers to them, and it require you to do a little research in a way, and it makes it so much richer. And I feel like even coming out of like Mother, I didn't. I wouldn't say I had gathered all the pieces to the puzzle. But I was so intrigued by it and knew that there had to be more than what I was taking in on the first viewing. I wish A24 was around yeah. when he was making his movies. I really feel like they understand how to market for sure and describe and prep people yeah. for a movie. Um, especially they're not afraid to advertise it and show that it's it's slower or that it's mm-hmm. weirder or or all these things. And yeah, it's it it doesn't always hit, but you at least have a good idea of what you're going in for. Yep. Um, and Paramount has always had Aronofsky movies, and I just feel like they're always trying to bill his stuff as a genre flick, and his movies are not genre flicks. No. At all. The description for Mother should be uh, the the Genesis creation narrative as told through a Gnostic lens of environmentalism. <laughs> Seriously. If I read that, I'd be like, I know what this movie is. And now I can have that lens going in. It's a terrible description. Well, it's actually really good, but you know what I mean. You would never put that on, uh, you know, marketing materials. But Paramount just needs to find a way to to build his movies as something. Even Black Swan and Wrestler, yeah, they just they struggled to uh, to communicate to people what they were about to to walk into. Mm-hmm. And I think anytime an audience walks in or the wrong audience walks in. Your movie's going to get terrible buzz for sure. Out of it. Especially like a movie like Noah, 100%. where you're going to get a bunch of Christians Can't in there. I believe Paramount was billing that to Christian audiences. I even remember thinking at the time, like, you sure you want to sell this to churches? <laughs> like, they were selling out screenings and, like, um, <laughs> I, I don't know what this movie's going to be, but I can promise you it's not going to be a Sunday school lesson. And this Man. crowd you're trying to entice is really going to get mad at you. I feel like that was just a cash grab at the yeah. like we like don't know what to do with this. I bet we can get a bunch of Christians to come to it, yep. and we're going to grab that before they realize what they're seeing and yep. and get out. And it would have been even worse. I mean, it came out what it was before those people went to see it. Yeah. Imagine if those people had <laughs> just hook, line, and sinker walked <laughs> into that group movie. Taken to see that movie. Can you imagine oh the, just the outrage and the furor? <laughs> oh, so it's yeah. I mean, I mean, I bet there was a bunch of groups who went and saw yeah. Passion of the Christ. So. Yeah. <laughs> but that was probably exactly what they wanted. Yeah. Uh, my next one is Where the Wild Things Are, oh. and just because I love this movie, Me too. I don't think in any way it's hated. I, I do think at the time, I think it's better understood now. Yeah. Um, I, I think the trailers did a great job of showing what it was, but I knew I do know at the time, and probably still, there are just blocks of parents that like, oh, I, I love that book, and I read that growing up. I'm going to show this to my kid. Yeah. And what unfolds, you know, you have to be sitting there as a parent, uninformed, thinking, okay, where's the where's the fun? 
Where's the, what's happening? Right. I'm confused. This is very <laughs> existential. And so uh, that's one. I, I just, I absolutely adore that movie. Yeah. I have no evidence to say that it's misunderstood other than, man, I bet it's misunderstood. So. For sure. Yeah. Well, um, my last, like, I, I just put on here, like, all of the works of probably David Lynch. <laughs> And that, and I don't like anybody nope. who'd misunderstand. Like that's I don't blame them. Yeah. Like I I love them, um, but there's a lot of uh, you just have to kind of surrender yourself to them and be okay with that. And yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are not. <laughs> My last one is Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> And not just because of you, Clint. Okay. But I, I really feel like uh, people watch this as a, as a Dracula adaptation, which it is. But I, I think they, they missed the part where uh, it was made specifically limiting itself to the technology of the original Dracula movie. Mm-hmm. And so special effects and everything, they really went out of their way to uh, kind of hem themselves in. Mm. And so that that defined a lot of their stylistic choices. And so it's not just an adaptation of Dracula. It's an adaptation of early cinema oh. through Dracula. Mm-hmm. And I think when you watch it that way, it's much better. And not only is it much better, but I think suddenly Keanu Reeves's terrible performance isn't a terrible performance mm. because he's acting just like those old, maybe it's totally accidental like on this part, films. <laughs> but he's acting like the old wooden actors when things first went from silent talkies uh-huh. where your actors either overacted or they way underacted. Uh-huh. And that's, I get from him that underacting and from Gary Oldman, that kind of, you know, overacting. I think Gary Oldman hits it better. Yeah, uh, Reeves is probably just, not in the right movie. Uh, <laughs> he certainly doesn't have the right accent. But I'll have to give this one another shot. When you when you watch it through that lens, yeah. I, I think it makes it a lot easier. And then and then some of the things that are really good about it, the costume design and the music and um, uh, some of the performances, not Reeves, uh, but a lot of those things start to to kind of sing mm-hmm. instead of being so strange. Yeah, um, because there's 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 like overlays and fade ins and fade outs and just very strange decisions until you realize, okay, this is trying to mimic a uh, hmm. a, a movie of that period. Yeah, it's honestly been a long time since I've watched it, just because my Keanu Reeves uh, uh, phobia for that film. Yeah. <laughs> so, I would do an impression of the accent, but it would come across like my Australian. <laughs> Good day. <laughs> That was your best one. Thank you. I've been practicing in the mirror every morning. Good day, mate. That was pretty good. Right? Right? It's totally racist or whatever that is because good day, mate, really, that's what yeah. you pick. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <sighs> next question. <laughs> uh, I'm always trying to put my finger on what makes a movie character feel real and what makes a movie character feel fake. I can never quite get it. Do you guys have... The ability to explain exactly what it is that makes somebody feel real in a performance or for an actor to get lost in a performance. Uh, what what are some actors and what are some performances where you forget that you're watching somebody who's paid to do the job they're doing? I got a whole list here, Clint. Okay, I got a handful. All right. Well, um, let's, let's back and forth it. So my first one is Joaquin Phoenix. From... Um, any specific movie or just in general? Well, I do have in the in the master, mm. which I that my my whole thing is in the master. 
And then a year later, he's in her. Mm -hmm. So the master, man, he's this horrible, angry drunk of a man. He's awful person. The next year, he's doing her. And he's this lovable man who's just trying to find love. And like, same thing with um, Come On, Come On, which just came out. Like, he's he's just did The Joker, which, like, I did not like The Joker, but I think he was fantastic in it. So um, he, I mean, he disappears in, he disappears. in whatever he's doing. And he can be, like, he can wildly swing from one thing to the next and be so believable to me. I, I feel like I'm a little bit, like, uh, I, I buy in pretty easily to like a preference i can like stop realizing like okay that's joaquin phoenix or whoever up there maybe not with uh reeves but (laughs) (laughs) yeah my my take on that explanation is daniel day lewis i have him on my list because he's just so wildly different you look at him and there will be blood Mm -hmm. and then the phantom thread yeah which are from the same director yeah and he's i mean you could not night and day difference those two performances, almost to the point you would swear it's a different actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but but he just has a way, and and part of it, he and Joaquin, I I, I know that that he's very method. I'm pretty sure Joaquin gets pretty method too. Mm-hmm. And I think whatever their process is, they really kind of envelop themselves in a character and let the character define whatever's coming out. They're not a a Robert Downey Jr. who is essentially playing Robert Downey Jr. or Ryan Reynolds is usually playing. Ryan Reynolds. Um, Speaking of which, I watched that one movie he had, uh, the uh, video game world. Free guy? Free guy. You didn't like it, did you, Clint? I did not like it. (laughs) I'm sorry. (sighs) What's your next actor, Clint? (laughs) My next one was um, actually a very specific role because unfortunately can't see anything else he's done Mm -hmm. after this, but Heath Ledger as the Joker. Yeah. Yeah, I like I have man, him on my list too. That performance is like such a transformation. And if you remember at the time, he was the pretty boy. Everybody was upset yeah. they had cast as the Joker. Uh people were really upset about that casting choice until that first trailer. Yep. And he that role is so fantastic. Yeah. Like I completely forget that it's him. And I feel like that was a very good open eye-opening experience for me as far as being like kind of judgmental towards actors and like yeah. letting actors like have the time to grow and find themselves and like like Pat Robert Pattinson. Like, yeah, okay, he started out in the Twilight series, but like, man, like these young actors need to be given time to like find themselves and get into roles where they're actually expressing what they want to express rather than like just trying to get their foot in the door. And, um, like, I mean, same, my next, I'll just go ahead and say it, but with Kristen Stewart. You can just go down through your, uh, Spencer. And Spencer. Same. Yep. I have her Um, on my list too. And she was another one. Like I, I feel like I was very dismissive of them at the that point in their careers as far as like in the twilight, Mm -hmm. um, years, but it, like, I feel like with any actor, I mean, you can you need to give them time to figure out what they're doing and learn And they have the to job. reach a certain level of fame yeah. before they're they can choose the their directors and their scripts. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, Kristen Stewart completely is lost mm-hmm. in, in that role. And I think uh, it's such an amazing transformation into um, Diana. It's yeah. so cool. Who else do you have on your list? That's honestly all I have. Okay. Yeah. Um, I also, Ryan Gosling in First Man uh-huh. uh, was just 
he he disappeared. Yeah, I I love that film, and and Ryan Gosling often does that. I mean, he has more of a, a discernible kind of style from role to role. Yeah, but I still feel like he's always in service of the character. I never feel like the character's serving his career. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and particularly with First Man, uh, probably my most fun pick is Patrick Stewart in Green Room. Oh yeah, because I don't. Patrick Stewart has such a distinguished voice. Yes. And such a a presence about him. Green Room? <laughs> that is not my Patrick Stewart. No. It's incredible. Yeah. He's he's one of the most just he's he's one of the most intimidating and and scariest uh movie villains uh, around. He plays a, a neo-Nazi. Mm-hmm. Um but it just everything about this character is not Patrick Stewart and yet you're completely aware of the fact that this is Patrick Stewart, but then he's so awful you keep forgetting that he's Patrick Stewart. Strangely, though, he's still the captain of a starship, well, which doesn't really make sense in the story. You have to, you have to watch the movie. Yeah. You know. it, okay. Yeah, it's yeah, all right. It makes sense. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Brick. Uh, Brick uh, yeah. is a great little mm-hmm. uh, just weird modern noir, but uh, he just he, – and, and I get it. At the time, he was unknown, so maybe this is a little unfair. But still, when I go back and watch it, he's just – uh, he he disappears for me, and then I had Kristen Stewart, Heath Ledger, and then Brad Pitt in Assassination of Jesse James. Oh right, that's a really uh, big actor that just sort of he played against type, and I think that's the big thing for me. Mm-hmm. I think actors who are not selecting based on what they're good at, but actors who are selected, they they have range, and then they're selecting based on does this character speak to them? Does this script appeal to them? And, you know, can they contort themselves into whatever they need to be? Yeah. Uh, Kristen Stewart playing Diana, that's a completely different character Mm -hmm. than anything Kristen Stewart's done. Anything she certainly is in interviews and things like that. But yet there's still elements from her life that she brought into it. And I I think that's the key. Joaquin Phoenix always, like you mentioned, always seems like he has something that he finds in life that he brings to a role, mm-hmm. even though he completely disappears and changes mm-hmm. who he is. Um, and so I, I think that's a big process for me when an actor can just fold away from, from their, uh, their billable face yeah. and, and really be more interested in the, the person. Mm-hmm. And even people who kind of disguise themselves, um, Jared Leto. Uh-huh. does all of these weight gains and all of these transformations and prosthetics. I still feel like I'm always watching Jared Leto. Yeah. And same thing with Johnny Depp. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I still, I am, I'm acutely aware of the fact that I'm watching a performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Christian Bale does a better job at that. Yeah. I feel like when he's doing the weight gain and weight loss thing, it's very much in service of the story. Yeah. And um, he also brings another level to it just yeah. through his performance. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, those those are mine. Uh, I love this next one because it's so short and simple. Um, I I follow your recommendations religiously. I'm actually episodes behind at all times because you guys watch so many things. I can't possibly keep up. <laughs> I just finished the episode where you talked about Spencer. This probably means that they have a life. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, probably. Just losers. Uh, and I loved both your takes on Spencer. What are other movies I can watch that are like it? 
This is this is actually a tough one. There were a couple of questions like this. Most of them I, I used on Instagram because they were a little easier to kind of apples to apples. Spencer's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, what did what did you come up with that's similar to Spencer for you? Well, I mean, first, right off the bat, like Jackie by yeah. Pablo Lorraine, who, yeah. his film from um, a few years ago. Um, 2016, maybe? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it was later than that. Um, it's not directly, I wouldn't say it's, directly a stylistic one-to-one um but there, you definitely see a through line of his style um but it's done in a, a different way um another one uh, kind of in the subtlety and also with uh Kristen Stewart being involved with a uh, personal shopper I haven't watched that I, uh, I've heard a lot of good things about it though yeah by Oliver Osius mm-hmm. Osius um just a really subtle like ghost story and mm-hmm. she that was the movie that really turned me on to her like as far as like oh she has a lot to say and she's actually a really good um actress and uh so I, I recommend it i think it's on like hulu maybe i think it would be really interesting if one day her and robert pattinson come back <laughs> into a movie but they've so advanced in their talents that this new movie just blows everyone away yeah and really the underlying joke is like man these kids have come far <laughs> um oh uh kind of more a comedic movie but the favorite mm. um by Yorgos Lanthimos um but it also is a very stylistic kind of like has a very strong style to it even though it's kind of tonally different as far as it's being more comedic but kind of telling um, almost a like similar story in a way yep. as far as being like the royalty and all that um the phantom thread I've got the fan third on my list, I feel list like too. that's a great, yep. like, it has super strong style, um, very quiet and subtle at moments, but, like, there's an underlying darkness to that film that you don't see coming. And you can't quite put your finger on what's coming next. Yeah. And there's, it's it's not a suspenseful film per se, but it just, it holds you on that edge of what's going to happen to these people. Right. Are, because are they're they going so, to destroy each other or right. are they going to make it through? Yeah, because they're both so volatile. Yeah. Um, this was a movie I haven't even talked about, but The Lost Daughter with um, um, Maggie Gyllenhaal directed. Mm-hmm. It's on Netflix. I've heard of it, but um, I, don't, I haven't seen Which it. is a very like subtle story about this woman kind of dealing with being a mother almost like it's just like kind of the guilt of like she never really want, like was a she wasn't a good mother but she's like kind of dealing with what she had done in the past mm-hmm. and like how she behaved with her because she kind of leaves her family um and just kind of like the kind of i don't know i don't want to step out of turn on what the movie was trying to say but there's a lot of uh underlying uh subtlety to that film mm-hmm. which I, I could see some um I don't know. Similarities. And then The Power of the Dog, which... Oh, I didn't even think of that. I feel like has a very tonal similarity yeah, to it where there's a sure. lot not being said and of underlying darkness to the characters and uh, a lot of complexity. All right. That's a good one. Um, I I had Jackie and the Phantom Thread at the top. Mm-hmm. My other one is actually the Green Knight, mm-hmm. and we actually talked about this a little when we uh, when we touched on Spencer. I, I'm pretty sure, 
but it's it's just the idea of it plays with perception it plays with reality mm-hmm. it plays with so much the mental state of the the main character and how that defines their reality yeah um that you know and just tonally as well but it it really has that kind of feel uh pig from last year uh-huh. with nicolas cage same kind of thing where it it so isolates you in the center of this person's mind that everything that's happening is through their eyes and through their experience and perspective mm-hmm. Um, the assistant, which is oh, yeah. a, a take on uh, kind of the the Harvey Weinstein kind of setup uh, with the the girl from Ozark, mm-hmm. and uh, just a just a very quiet and uh, unnerving uh, movie where there's a lot that goes unsaid, mm-hmm. but that you know is happening under the surface. Uh, the road with Viggo Mortensen. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that one is probably the furthest out. Yeah. Um, but that's one where again, uh, you're you're dealing with a character kind of at the in a in a pure survival situation. Even when they're not faced with something that's about physical survival, they're really trying to figure out what's next. What what are they there for? What are they What's their purpose? What are they, you know, trying to achieve? And and are they even going to be able to achieve it? Or is the situation around them going to crush them? And then finally, another kind of weird offshoot when I'm thinking of ending things, which is on oh, yeah. Netflix. Yeah. Uh, that one, honestly, it's really hard to explain why that one popped into my head other than I felt the same way watching it that I felt watching Spencer. Hmm. Very different tone. Yes. <laughs> um, very different tone. But yeah. it, it it forces you to follow it and think uh, in a similar fashion. I feel like uh, Spencer would have benefited from Elijah Wood with Dumbchucks, though. <laughs> so yeah. Well, you know, what are you what are you going to do? Uh, so yeah, that's that's mine. Next question. Uh, I love this one. This is the absolute shortest feedback we got. <laughs> um, it's fix Star Wars in three moves. Go. <laughs> um, and then in parentheses, this person put, clearly you guys are almost done with Star Wars. I am too. I would love to know how you would fix it. Are, okay. I, I have on my list like two other questions. Are we doing this one before them? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just I figured we just talked about some heavy, you know, Spencer okay. stuff. Let's go to Star Wars. <laughs> um, so honestly, there's no hope for Star Wars. No, no Clint. <laughs> no Clint. Star Wars started yeah. with a new hope. There is hope. There is hope. There's and hope. it's new. There's hope. Um, you are you are the producer. Fix it, Clint. So honestly, I I think Rogue One really fixed a lot of issues that I personally have. Um, because I think like the things that would fix it or make it more entertaining to me is, is take the world seriously. Um, which I think Rogue One does. It takes his character seriously. It takes the world seriously and their stakes are serious serious because if they don't complete their mission, like it's hopeless. Um, Let's tell some new character stories. Hey, there's a, there's a notion. <laughs> let's go look like there's so much galaxy in this in this galaxy. Like let's go figure out some other character stories. I'm sure there's a bunch of great ones that we can figure out. Um, 
which I feel like Rogue One did that. Like there were some smaller characters we weren't familiar with that we didn't have all these pre, um, like preconceived like ideas of what they should be doing or they're got to have a lightsaber. No, they don't have, a, have to have a lightsaber. Okay. Um, that was one of my other things. Um, let's, well, that's kind of falls in the same thing, but let's explore different areas of the world. Like, there's so many other things we could be doing. Why does it all like like let's tell There's some- a lot to do on Tatooine, Clint. <laughs> there's desert. Yeah. There's formerly oceanic desert. <laughs> but desert. I feel like the Boba Fett at the beginning of that series yeah. was doing it. Yeah. I feel like visually they've kind of fixed the problems that they they had before yeah. for the most part. I feel like they I, I don't know, but honestly, I feel like Rogue One is a great blueprint for some things that they should be doing. That was the, that's been my favorite yeah. of all of the things that have come out recently. But I have a very clear vision of something that they should do. I would love to see a Cantina workplace comedy <laughs> where it's Cheers in space. I would watch you, that, in and a it's second. just all the weirdos coming in and out. Of the and there's like a bartender who runs the place and it's the group like of workers that are always there and then there's like other people coming in throughout the there's a norm character that everybody's like go run <laughs> and you can have the band and like the drama between like yeah. and, and like that could be so much fun let's like tell some stories like that yeah. that you have this platform now with Disney Plus let's do something weird I don't know there's just I feel like they play it so safe and they're always like pandering to the like the super fans like this whole thing is going to die out because they're not a a, like a like willing to try and branch out so okay (laughs) that's good that's good all right here's mine yeah step one (laughs) oh good find the star wars version of kevin feige (laughs) i don't know who it is maybe it's kevin gareth edwards let's let him do it yeah maybe it's gareth edwards put somebody in charge that is just overseeing and that's that's going to track from they project tr- to project. They tried. Yes. They tried. But this step one only works with step two and step three. Okay. So follow me here. So step one, you got to have somebody that's overseeing everything and they got to be smart. They got to be sharp. They have it right now with John Favreau and Dave Filoni. And I don't feel like – just don't feel like they have it. Because I feel like they're doing what I said. They're pandering to the the people who are the super fans and they're not like trying to explore like new avenues for the thing. Step two uh, is the no bloodlines clause. Uh, Mm. No more Skywalkers. No more Palpatines. Uh, I don't the cameo at most. Yeah. Uh, But this is kind of inspired by Star Wars Visions, the Mm. animated project. My pitch would be uh, do do an animated anthology like that and then pay attention to what people respond to. Yeah. Oh, they love number three, five, and seven. Let's see if we can develop those into something a little more substantial. Mm-hmm. And if not, fine. But but let's see what, you know, these little test things, let's see what people respond to. I love Visions because for the most part, it was Skywalkerless. Yep. I think at most Boba Fett shows up. But there were some shorts in there, and not every short was was 
great. Yeah. Uh, but there there were a handful in there. I'd watch an entire series For or sure. movie. Yeah. Uh, the opening black and white samurai one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the one with the color changing lightsabers. I know it sounds stupid, but there there were just a couple in there. I'm like, oh, this is this is some really good stuff. Yeah. Uh, but they were following other characters and other connections, and it felt like they were saying from the top, let's just find other people to be creative with. Let's not focus in on what we've already seen. And then step three, and this is the the Rogue One clause: uh, hire genre filmmakers who make each entry or trilogy feel different, yeah, uh, look different, and all of that, and Have, let them do it. Yep, and let, give them the freedom. And that's one thing I think Marvel could benefit from. They're doing it a little bit with the TV series, but yeah. you can still tell you're watching a Marvel project. I loved what they did with the Batman in DC and Warner because it's just its own thing. Mm-hmm. They can go make a Superman movie and make it totally different. They can have Shazam and make it totally different. They don't even have to share the same universe. Yep. Give me a movie that functions as that movie and hire somebody who you're going to let play. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, going back to like the Marvel mistake. If you're going to hire Edgar Wright for Ant-Man, I want to see Edgar Wright's Ant-Man. I don't care if it perfectly serves the grander vision, mm-hmm. let somebody else fix that later. Uh, you know, when you get to your end game or whatever. But but Star Wars needs that. Uh, hey, um, you know, David Fincher, what would you do in the Star Wars universe? Hey, um, you know, Edgar Wright, what would you do in the Star Wars universe? All these people just open it up and and see what comes of it. I feel like they tried to do that with like Rogue One and yeah. then the Han Solo movies and then I think they got scared. Well, and they they really got scared even before Han Solo came out. Mm-hmm. They didn't like what uh Phil yeah, Miller and Lord. Miller and Lord. Yeah. They didn't like their version. They didn't like what they were doing and they got nervous people wouldn't like it. And so they they pulled it. Mm-hmm. And they switched, and then they they shut the whole thing down after people were like, eh, it was just okay. Of course it was just okay. Right. You didn't like the different version. You literally wanted it to just be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you you got to have Gave boldness. it to the safest bet of all, yep. Ron Howard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I don't get me wrong. I still enjoy Solo. I, I enjoyed yeah. it better than most, but mm-hmm. I still want to see what the other version would have been. Yeah. I, I bet I would have really enjoyed it. Um, and I just, uh, so yeah, you, you need somebody to kind of take charge at the same time. You need somebody who's going to let go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then man, just, can we please after nine movies of Skywalkers and even these, uh, the Mandalorian and Boba Fett are orbiting the Skywalkers as much as possible yeah, for in sure. that part of the universe and just. Just go do some different stuff. Wait, and that goes back to my like criticism of that last trilogy is like it's still it's it's the Skywalker thing, and in even to the degree that we're just telling the same version of the previous trilogy, slightly different, but yeah. it's the same arc. Yeah. Like there, there's so many other avenues that it could take, and like we talked about with Ryan Johnson earlier, he tried. Yeah. And then they had to retcon it all in the next one because they weren't willing to follow through. Oh, and that's enough. You got to have a plan. You yeah. got to see several steps ahead. There's no reason they should have ever gone into making episode seven if they didn't at least have a basic plan for eight and nine. Right. You don't set the stage if you don't know how things are going to end. Exactly. It's just it's it's foolish writing mm-hmm. or management or whatever else you want to you want to call it. So, yeah, that's you know, anytime Disney wants to call up. Clinton Ken, 
will uh, <laughs> offer their services. Um, Ken and Clint won't, but Clint and Ken will. <laughs> they refuse. Yeah. I hope people know I'm joking. I feel like somebody's going to walk away like that absolute jerk bag. Your face doesn't say I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Dramatic pause. <laughs> um, love when you guys talk about low budget flicks and what makes them good or not so good. I'm curious what you think the best low budget flicks are that don't look like they're low budget. Movies that look more expensive than they are or that pull off their ambition despite their low budget. Clint, what'd you come up with? So I gave myself a rule okay. that it had to be under a million dollars. Oh, you went real low. Yeah. I went under five. Under five million? Okay. I, no, I, I had started there, but then I was like, there's like there, okay. a lot of films fall under the five million, but like, okay. I, I wanted to try to keep it under a million. Okay. So speaking of Gareth Edwards, but Monsters, who he did that for $500,000. I think he did all of the computer graph, like animation yeah. for that. He was a one-man shop. Yeah, and that totally pulls off this grand science fiction, like, uh, movie, but, like, he did it for $500,000. Yeah. And, that's and so the sequel shows it because the sequel they pump more money into. Uh-huh. And sequel is not good. No, yeah. it's not Gareth Edwards. It's uh, somebody else. But, uh-huh. but the first one, yeah, totally agree with you. Um, the next one is Brick by Ryan Johnson. Nice. Um, which was also done for $500,000. Didn't know that. And that movie is a great, like, indie noir. It, it totally is a great mystery. Um, the acting is great. They, um, the style, like, it has this um, Shakespearean language to it. It's so interesting and beautiful for, like, this weird noir uh, set in a high school. It's so cool. I remember when everybody on the early internet was talking about Donnie Darko. You and I were like, but... But brick, brick. What about? <laughs> have you guys seen brick? Uh, brick. <laughs> um, Bronson by Nicholas Weinenreffen. Oh, he made yeah. that for uh, two thousand. dollars. Uh, two hundred and thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> okay, uh, I was like, man, Tom Hardy's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he eats for. He'll work for a sandwich. Um, but man, like that's such a great little movie, yeah. and. Um, also, just like the power of getting a good actor to carry the role and carry the movie, like that's such smart filmmaking. Yeah. Um, Primer by uh, Shane Carruth for $7,000. Primer's on my list because it looks like a movie that's much more expensive that's made intentionally to look low budget. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, don't look at what Shane Carruth is doing currently. Uh-oh. <laughs> See, down the... QAnon rabbit hole? No. He said it just, like he's uh, QAnon. Just some domestic abuse. Oh, no. I know. Why? I know. I had such I were never love for that. Prime or two, still priming. And then Pie by Darren Aronofsky, hmm. $60,000. That's wild. And that's such a great, great movie. That's a kid with a credit card and a dream. I know. That's, I always, I always, always, back when Clerks came out, I was always fascinated listening to Kevin Smith talk mm-hmm. about I was just, it was all or nothing. And I took my credit cards and I filled them up and I just made the best movie I could. And it by no means looks expensive. Yeah. Um, but it's, again, I think we've talked about it where the best low budget flicks are the ones that know their limitations, yep. know what they have to deal with, and then spend the money wisely. And when you do that, ah. At the top of my list before I made that rule for me was Prospect. Yeah. But I was like, that's still $5 million. 
See, well, it's four and a half. That's why I set my rule at five, because there's no version of this list that occurs without me talking about yeah. Prospect. Prospect yeah. is probably the most, after Mad Max Fury Road, is probably the most over-talked about movie on this podcast. Yes. Uh, Prospect, are... you can find it. They've even released it in 4K now. Um, and I would not recommend 4K. It gets a little too detailed. Oh, you can start okay. to see that budget just a tiny bit yeah. more. Uh, but Prospect just... It, it creates such a lived-in world mm-hmm. that doesn't feel cheap. It just looks lived in. Yeah. And yes, it's a product of the budget, but they're smart in their storytelling and their their production design mm-hmm. uh, to use that to their advantage. And um, and then you pair that with a great script and, you know. Great actors to fill the roles. Yeah, who's yeah. really going to be looking at whether that's a motorcycle helmet or uh, yeah, it's just it's all fine. Prospect doesn't use motorcycle helmets, no. by the way. They had four and a half million dollars, so they did a little more than that. <laughs> but they had to pay for what's his name that played the Viper on Game of Thrones. He had to be at least three and a half of it. That's true. I'm kidding. He's not but, like Tom Hardy. He won't eat. No. Won't work for a sandwich. Yeah. Now I had uh, monsters on the list as well uh, because that man. I, I think that movie looks better than his Godzilla flick. Mm. Um, Godzilla yeah. flick, you can tell, is a big-budget movie, just yeah. the look of it. But uh, any day of the week, I'd take monsters over that. Uh, and then I have The Witch. Um, oh, yeah. And I'm not sure. Do you know how much The Lighthouse costs now that I think about that? I don't. I okay. wouldn't imagine it's too much more. It might be, though, just from the cast. Uh, yeah. It's certainly not from the production end, but Willem Dafoe and— uh, that could be a $10 million kind of deal. Maybe, but just at the level that he works, I feel like yeah. he doesn't put – the budgets aren't very much. Uh, the Witch is, is really good. I think another thing that these movies do – Prospect did the same thing. Monsters did the same thing. They find relative unknowns that just feel like they're going to be somebody. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, uh, The Witch has uh, Anna Taylor-Joy, mm-hmm. and she has a very distinct face and you know very talented and just ended up – uh, going in a lot of directions after this, um, but again, it, choose your choose your uh, your setting and everything wisely. This is not a movie that needs to be expensive, mm-hmm. and so can afford to just look it. Um, I I don't know if you can get much more expensive looking than those kind of films, though. I think Prospect is probably one that that pushes it kind of to the to the extreme before you have to have a budget. To be able to do stuff, yeah. Uh, I think once you go past five million, uh, it really starts to go into that area where uh, CG comes into the mix. And mm-hmm. once CG comes into the mix, your prices either skyrocket or you just can't pull off what you're trying to pull off. Right, right. Um, and what was what was that movie we watched where they're laying the line? Oh, Lapsus? Lapsus. Yeah, that was another I, one. I should have mentioned that one. I bet you that one's... Yeah, I think that was probably uh, ...really low budget. But yeah. that's another one where it just creates this weird world, and it makes these strange, cheap-looking things a part of that weird world. Yeah. And so you don't care about the budget. You don't care um, uh, about the uh, the high level of, of production design because it works. It mm-hmm. just it flows right into everything. Yep, for sure. Yeah. So that's that's that. Are you ready for this other one? Yeah. All right. This one I love. Um, I only put movies in my collection, and bravo to you. Uh, I only add movies to my collection that represent my personal philosophy on life. I don't know how you do that, but good I try on to you. do that as much do as I can. Do you really? A little bit. 
that, that I have. I to have add. Navy SEALs on my shelf. <laughs> that is okay? your life's philosophy. I love Navy SEALs, but Navy SEALs is not in any way indicative of my life philosophy. Anyway. I, I wouldn't say I 100% do, but I, okay. I try. I only buy, like, I've really slimmed down what I buy okay. as far as movies. Uh, it's it's not that I'm trying to be egotistical. It's just if I'm going to watch a movie, I would like it to connect with who I am as a person. Uh, what are some movies that best represent your personal philosophy on life and living? Mine, honest, I'm sorry. This is a deep question. Mine's probably kind of silly-ish. So Navy why don't seals? you go first, Clint? Okay. No, it's not Navy <laughs> SEALs. Shut up, Clint. Ghostbusters after I got life. my life broke. Yes. I got my life broken down into five movies here. I have six. Okay, eighty-four. It's uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> for one of each split personality. Yep, yep, yep. My first one is Brazil by Terry Gilliam. I <laughs> your life philosophy on Brazil? Help me understand the man that is Clint. Um, because I wouldn't say the core like meaning of that movie. But I mean, like, I'm always kind of like fighting a little, trying to power against the bureaucracy of life a little bit, which mm -hmm. he's doing. But just like the artistry in that film, there's a like a good sense of humor to it. There's an underlying darkness to it. Um, there's hope. There's lack of hope in that movie. I, I feel like that there's a lot in that movie that I really do take to heart. And um, it's entertaining, but it's also whimsical. There's a lot of things as far as just like being an artist, like or that I try to carry through into things that I do. Um, but I, I do, I don't know, I connect with that movie in a really strong way. Um, the next one is The Fountain. And I, I really do connect, like, I feel like that is my life's philosophy of like, that there's something hoping that life goes on in some way past what we are now and not knowing what that is. And even if it is just planting like a seed in my chest and letting it bloom for another generation to enjoy. <laughs> so much deeper than me. Clint. So happy you're answering this first because they're you know going to be so happy with your answers and then whew, go on. Okay. Um, Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind. Mm. I I I so uh, connect to Jim Carrey's performance in that film. Um, I think there's a lot of me in that, um, and just the level of artistry in that film and like the whimsy of it. Um, I don't know. I I wouldn't. Say, it's just like I I can't say 100% life philosophy in these, but just like pure connection that I, I really hold something in myself to these. Um, Rushmore, I, I, I see a lot of myself in probably Max Fisher as far as probably being in, interested in a lot of different elements of life in like, you know, hobbies and things, but maybe not being a master. <laughs> and um, then the Tree of Life, which is another one kind of similar to the fountain as far as wanting to believe that I've been in a very existential uh, place, like I, at least the I past, uh, probably forever, but like the past couple uh, months for sure. And the um, past two years with what we've been facing through life. And that I feel like the fountain really like captures that feeling of wanting just like the span of history and wanting to believe that you, you go on in some way. 
Um, so yeah, that's my list. <laughs> wow, man. Tell me how you connect to Ghostbusters. I didn't. I didn't. But uh, I wanted to. I really tried to squeeze it in somewhere. But then when you mentioned Ghostbusters 2, I was like, here it is. I found it. <clears throat> uh, so so mine is, I, I think I approached this very differently. Okay. And I didn't approach it existentially. Oh, oh that's I, all I do. <laughs> I approached it with... Uh, something that stuck out and why a movie resonates with me or or a quote that just like I that's something to live my life by. Uh-huh. Uh, and this first one's going to sound like a joke. Life is like a box of chocolates. No, this first one is going <laughs> to sound like a joke. And I promise you, it is not a joke. OK, God help me. It is not a joke. I won't laugh. Air Force One. <laughs> OK, I can't not laugh. <laughs> We really did this so wildly different. (laughs) Air Force One is the first time I was introduced to the concept of we do not negotiate with terrorists. And honestly, uh, and you know what my life has been the last five years. Uh This is a defining philosophy and honesty. Not that I'm dealing with actual terrorists, but just in life, uh, if if somebody is uh, emotionally uh, terrorizing you or being toxic or whatever else— like, don't negotiate with that person. Uh-huh. We do not negotiate with terrorists. And I just – I quote that line all the time, <laughs> even at work, to people. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, when you go in there uh, – because I have a staff and, you know, hey, when you go and deal with this situation, we do not negotiate with terrorists. And so mm-hmm. if somebody's just throwing a fit – so anyway, uh, yeah, not a joke, I swear. Okay. Uh, the second one is Shawshank Redemption, uh-huh. and it's because of the whole theme of get busy living or get busy dying. Mm-hmm. That is so in my wheelhouse because especially this last two years, this became a thing where it was a lot of where is that line between being safe and then, you know, living your life. Mm-hmm. And that was really uh, – in my house, that was really hard. We were definitely more on the the safe end of things. Um but that was that was challenging, and that's that's always resonated with me because that's something where if if you're not if you're not doing something with your life, like, you know it sounds super dark, but you know what are you doing? Yeah. Um, and it's not that you have to have an answer. It's just one of those like find it, find what what makes you happy, find what fulfills you, find what uh, even even if it's just a little bit, like the minute you taste that, head in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, Braveheart, uh, every man dies, not every man lives, has been a like, man, that's so profound to me. Uh, and I love the scene where he's talking to um, Robert the Bruce, and uh, he's saying, um, he's telling him, like, just stand up for things, and they'll follow you. Not only will they follow you, I'll follow you too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've actually, I've stolen that line, and I've used versions of that. Uh, where where I'll tell somebody who's looking at me to lead, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, no, you've got this, and and I'll I'll totally follow you if you do it with what you have. Uh-huh. Uh, and I just I love that. Uh, a little more vague, but crazy stupid love. I love the message of that movie is just it's going to work out, mm-hmm. and it's going to suck uh, at times, but life, love, all of it. Uh, it's weird. It's hurtful sometimes, but at the end of the day. If you stick with the people you care about and you love hard, then uh, things things will eventually come out mm-hmm. uh, okay. 
Dead Poet Society. Yeah. Literally everything Robin Williams says, <laughs> uh, I just want to immediately <laughs> absorb into my life. Yeah. I want to stand on desks and kick you are soccer standing balls. On the desk right and now. You better believe it. <laughs> Uh, I want to I want to kick soccer balls reading poetry and I want to carpe diem and I want to sneak off into a cave and read poetry and I want to I don't know mm-hmm. I just um I want to want to live life and the times I am uh, at my lowest it's because I feel like I'm just kind of stuck in a quarter uh negotiating with terrorists. <clears throat> oh, we don't do that. Yes. We don't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh and so I fancy myself Robin Williams and Dead Poets Society. And then also as Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting, mm-hmm. uh, just the ability to help somebody uh, profoundly at their core is really important to me. And um, I think, weirdly enough, uh, I'm not sure what it says about me, but when I go through actors and the characters they've played, like, man, Robin Williams movies just hit me for some reason. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if I ever grow up to be a multi-pronged character canon from somebody's acting career. I guess it would be Robin Williams. Especially Jumanji. <laughs> yeah. Not all the films, but you know, so that's that's mine. Mine is not as existential. Mine's a little more uh literal, but um That's okay. I maybe I uh, understood it incorrectly. I I don't think so. I think it's very much our personalities <laughs> yeah. because you're very like what's next and you're about the search and I'm like tell me where we're going. <laughs> And I want to get there a certain way. You know, if I can get there and feel a certain way, I have been a success. Mm-hmm. Where you're you're much more contemplative and, and your version of success is, is less literal and more, you know. Yeah. Am I am I on to something? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I won't, okay. I won't disagree. But you won't agree either. <laughs> no. That's why this is no, the I'm Clinton absorb- show. <laughs> All right. Uh, this last one that I have, I I, I wasn't me. told this question. You were not, I, honestly. Yeah. And this person says, Ken, can you please not fill Clinton on this question <laughs> and just ask him blindly? Oh, great. Are you ready? Yeah. Sure, you're ready. No, but go ahead. Okay, Clint, it's time to admit it. You're the voice of Sinatron Three Thousand, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> I'll go to the grave on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's me. Oh, Clint, no. <laughs> uh, no, we always have fun. Uh, we haven't done something with that in a while. But Clint Clint goes home, and I start getting texts. And you can tell in the text that he's getting giggly. And Clint is not a giggly guy. But, man, when he grabs a hold of an idea and runs with it. Yeah. I don't know if you remember the episode where he, uh, he did. We were just supposed to do... Um, you know, extended cuts uh, uh-huh. or of of movies, the lost um, scenes or something. The lost like- scenes, and I I found literal, you know, movies that had cut a scene and talked about them. Clint just made up whole entire <laughs> movie fourth acts. We need to and do something sound like effects that again. and music, and it was just the the best thing that entire <laughs> month. Um, and so Clint Clint puts a lot of work into. Uh, just making the podcast it's, sound a little fun. It's all, it's all for my own and your amusement, basically. And yeah, Cinetron will be back. I promise. <laughs> yeah. uh, we got we got some some stuff coming up. Um, 
but Clint always actively, you can tell he's really trying to make me laugh. If I laugh, <laughs> he's at least got one. Yeah. And, uh, and then we can assume someone else will. Because so. I'm assuming this just goes out to the void and you're the only person like actually going to hear it. So nope. I was like, if I can get you to laugh, at least I got that. Yep. No, yeah. I hear more about your music. <laughs> I almost said stupid music, but it's good. <laughs> but I hear more compliments about your music than anything else. And I'm glad because... Uh, I know somewhere out there there is somebody that thinks the like the Sinatron song or the different you know anything other than the first song is just you know you being fully I know what I'm doing this is the greatest <laughs> intro to a podcast segment ever whereas consistently people are like a oh, Sinatron song ha 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 um no Clint Clint is very very talented uh, all his friends and I know it, and we're all oh, secretly stop. no, no. It's my time to brag on you, Clint. We're all secretly very jealous of him, mm-hmm. and so um, he's one of those people that can just draw and paint and sing and play guitar and make music. And apparently, living in a world of existential dread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, what a conflict in your soul that must be. It is to have so many just. Fruits of joy to give people and to be filled with such turmoil. Man. It's got to come from somewhere. It's tragic. I remember Clint uh, once came over. This is sounding like a funeral. I know. (laughs) Clint once came over. He was so excited because he he found, and don't you cut any of this. (laughs) He found at this shop, it was this little MIDI uh, player Uh that was way too complicated to get notes out of. But he would sit there and just play songs out of it. And it would do little loops. And it was simultaneously the dumbest thing I'd ever seen, (laughs) but he just brought pure artistry out of this thing, and it was so entertaining. Um, I live somewhere between pure idiocy and artistry. I I believe. Was that a D&D night? Probably. Yes. It was a D&D night because you started soundtracking. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was for yeah. my own amusement too. No, that was good fun. <laughs> uh, no, we we appreciate your questions and and all your feedback. It's a good time. Um, you know, like I said, you can find us on cinebabblecast.com or at cinebabble on Instagram. Send us your questions. Send yes. us something that that you have an idea for. Thank you. There was a, another uh, email that was just talking about how. It would be cool if we incorporated um, questions more routinely once in a while. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, now that we don't have uh, a minute to spare for The Mandalorian or Star Wars, it sounds like, <laughs> uh, maybe we can start to do some of that, too, one a week or something like that if mm-hmm. we have them. Uh, so, all right. All right. That was fun. Yeah. I, you, you were very good at this, Clint. I don't know. I think you were good too. Thank you. But I think you took the assignment more seriously. (laughs) I was just having some fun and you're just like, well, let me tell you about ninth grade. (laughs) Ninth grade was particularly painful. And that's what made me think of. That's why I'm Max Fisher. (laughs) Yep. All right. Uh, Well, this has been Cinebabble episode 50. Uh, Check out our episode of The Batman you yeah. can find that in our in our list. Uh, and then also next week on episode 51, we'll do licorice pizza. We'll uh whatever our Senate another round pick was, is another round. Another round. Yeah, that's and right. then we'll we'll come up with a second movie too. Those both feel potentially heavy. So uh we'll we'll see what a third one is. Yeah. I don't know. The Greasy Strangler 2. <laughs> that's uh my wife listened back to the podcast and she's just laughing but staring at me and she's like 
what was this movie? And I'm like, <laughs> don't ask. Like, no, what was this movie? Don't ask. Mm-hmm. Well, now I really want to know what this movie was. I'm like, I can Family show you this movie. movie. Night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can you imagine? Levi, let's bond. He would uh, probably get a kick out of it. He, I'm not watching that. That's <laughs> that's true. Wow, <laughs> Clint. <laughs> hey, parents out there, want a movie to watch with your kids? Might I recommend the Greasy Strangler? <laughs> Just rollicking. I mean, it only has fun. a few prosthetic fallacies. <laughs> not that many. Uh, well, on that note, this has been Cinebible episode 50. <laughs> Thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, we appreciate you. Uh, you know, do something uh, like find somebody that doesn't listen to us and make them listen to us. Why don't we, uh, why don't we start, you know. Not at, like, knife point or anything. Well, just, no, but just, you know, pay this podcast forward. Is that a thing? Hmm. Yeah, if you're Kevin Spacey, I guess. Oh, no. <laughs> Clint. <laughs> All right. Uh This is uh, Clinton Ken, not Kevin Spacey. No. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. And Clint, uh, your name comes first. So how about you sign us out of here? (laughs) Goodbye, Ken. (laughs) Goodbye, Clint.